Inside 20, for those who desire to hunt close. Brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia, Big Jim's Bow Company, Gunshy Archery, Vantage Point Archery, Custom Kings Traditional Archery, and Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared from each podcast are the beliefs of the Inside 20 associates and the guests participating. Tonight, we had the pleasure of sitting down with the owner-operator Safari Tough and a long supporter of traditional bow hunters of Georgia, Mr. Randy Cooling. How are you doing tonight? Good evening. I'm actually doing fantastic. Hey, uh, thank, thanks, for, hi there. thanks for having me on tonight. I always enjoy talking hunting and archery and that. So We do, too. Uh, we do. We love listening to the other podcasts you've been on tonight. Really, what we want to talk about, though, is, is moose hunting. We've done one other podcast on moose hunting. Mr. Brian Burkhart did that for us, and uh, we, we enjoyed it. I actually got to go on a moose hunt. Uh, my first one this past year in Canada, and so I uh, have, uh, I guess, a selfish desire to talk more moose hunting, and then we want to talk about just your pursuit and hunt for the three different moose species, and then last but not least, want to talk about the TBG annual banquet this year that we hear you will be attending. Yeah, Must- um, I don't, I don't talk about moose hunting much it seems like lately but uh it's it's definitely one of my favorite things to hunt i wish i could do it more um but i've uh i've shot all three species of moose now so uh there's other animals i don't have that i tend to pursue we can't wait to get into it for those people that might have been living under a rock or are not aware of who you are tell them about yourself where you're from, and then just why you choose to hunt with traditional equipment. Yeah, I'm, uh, I grew up in uh, Iowa, basically in Solon, Iowa. It's a little town back then of a thousand people. And uh, I got into archery probably deep into it because of Boy Scouts and going to camp and uh, competing there. And, and uh, I had a buddy that was in my class that also got me going a little bit his older brother hunted so uh but i remember building bows watching i believe the old robin hood is probably where i really started seeing bows and that uh with arrow flynn and i was building bows out of sticks and and arrows out of sticks and uh and i got a fiberglass typical solid fiberglass bow and eventually got a laminated bow um I, I started bow hunting deer in 1974. I was 14 years old, and I just loved it back then. I bought my first uh, hunting bow. was a bear super grizzly victor that was 45 pounds. I paid $55 for it, and I had a darton, wood laminated darton. I bought at Kmart, and I had to sell that to be able to afford to buy that bear recurb. But, uh, and then back then too, I started, we had fiberglass arrows, microplates, and uh, bare razor heads. But uh, I, I just got totally hooked and I uh, couldn't drive. I'd go out and stay at my friend's house. And we had about a three mile walk down to a river to where we could go whitetail hunt. We'd get up way early in the morning and eat something. And then we'd hike the gravel roads down to the river bottom to hunt. So I, I've just been hooked ever since then. Uh, I, I 
I really like hunting with uh, a recurve. I, I love shooting stuff with the recurve. I had did use a compound a couple years when I was younger and stuff, but uh, I always ended up back with the recurve. I don't know if it's a challenge or or what part of it. I just, but I I, I love shooting traditional stuff. We're right there with you. It's something that is sometimes hard to put in words that it just is addicting and the all aspects of it. Um, I've heard many people say, and I feel this, the same exact way. I know Tim does it, just going out in the yard and shooting it. And you, next thing you know, you've been out there for hours. Um, whereas in my experience, you know, shooting a compound that that wasn't the case, right? Either after a little while you, you wear out and you get tired or you just, it's not, I don't know. Once you're hitting the spots that your sights are, are locked in for it didn't really feel like it's uh like you really get much out of it after that after a few times right yeah and, and i even when i hunted with a compound i hunted bare bow and fingers and stuff for a couple of years but i just i get so much uh i don't know if you call it gratification or or that out of uh getting it done with a recurve uh I don't care what anybody else like, whatever anybody likes to hunt with or that it, I, I don't care as long as it's legal. And, uh, I, you're, you're absolutely right how it is hard to put into words, but, uh, uh, I love getting close. Uh, I've got to the point now where I do a lot more quote unquote trophy hunting, I guess. And, uh, it gives you a lot more time in the woods. I hunt, I'm fortunate to hunt places where if I shot the first buck, I'd be done probably the first day, uh, burning my tags and stuff when it came to hunting whitetails where other things like elk and stuff where it's a lot harder to get on. Uh, you, you, you get a lot more hunting time in, but, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's 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 such a personal thing uh, for me and what it does uh, hunting with the recurve. You know, shooting a shooting a stick bow is just fun too. You know, we had a uh, a fella at TBG when I first started shooting, and he said, "Man, if you're not having fun doing this, he's like, you don't need to be doing it." He's like, "This is this is really meant to be fun," and I can certainly agree. You know, we were talking earlier about you know, just getting out and shooting different targets, whether it be a stump or a hay bale, whatever. It's, it's just fun, man. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to shoot 3d tournaments, uh, every weekend somewhere growing up in Iowa. I didn't move out of Iowa till like 97, I believe it was. And, uh, I and my buddy there, we shot tournaments every weekend and there we could find, if we could find one Saturday and Sunday, we'd go to both. Uh, sometimes you might go to one in the morning and hit another one if we could get to it, if it wasn't too far away in the afternoon. Uh, and we traveled quite a ways to do it too. If, if, if it meant going to one, we just, uh, it, it was, it was, it's just a lot of fun. I keep my bow hanging in my garage. Uh, when I was working a regular job, I'm retired now from, I worked on elevators and escalators for 42 years. And I always had my bow in the garage, and that was the first thing I did when I got home from work: is grab that and shoot. Uh, couldn't get, couldn't wait to get home to do it. And now most of your time, free time spent is traveling around hunting, right? During any free time yeah. you have yeah. currently. 
Yeah, I, I, with doing shows and, uh, uh, it's, it takes up so much more time. I'm actually home less now on weekends than, uh, I was when I, uh, was working, uh, cause that's when everything's happening. And, uh, uh, plus, plus hunting, I normally can, I'll usually hunt three months out of the year. I'll be going somewhere traveling, hunting somewhere. And, uh, so, uh, I'm not home much then. Uh, it's, it got to the point where I found out, figured out there was some place to hunt in the world every month of the year. And so we started even like going to New Zealand, Australia, Africa, you can go to in the summertime. Uh, uh, you can get down to Texas early or late winter, I guess, February, March. Uh, things are roaring down there with, with uh, different animals. And uh, so I, eventually I learned, and that was kind of a bad thing maybe in the end, but. Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's somewhere you can hunt. I've been to Turkey hunting ibex. Uh, I've been to Argentina hunting red stag. That's a place you can go in the summertime. Uh, also, and uh, it's just it's never ending. And there's still got a wish list, and I always will have one. Because there's hunting's a great hunting's a great time. way to hunting is a great way to um, see the world. I guess it gives you a good excuse to go and see some of these places that. You know, even if you took a trip to, you know, Turkey or wherever, you're going to see places hunting that you wouldn't see if you were just a normal tourist, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, you get out into the heart of the country. And yeah, uh, uh, it's just it's just awesome. I hunted Spain uh, for Ibex, Besady Ibex, and we were hunting in ruins that the Romans built with slaves, walls and terracing and that. Uh, to farm with and it you just there's it's just beautiful people are nice everywhere you go uh i i, I just love uh traveling internationally and hunting so exactly where all have you been moose hunting specifically i i've uh, shot a moose in ontario I shot that's a Canadian moose and Alaskan moose, uh, Yukon moose. I shot in northern Alaska, and I shot a Shiras moose in northern Wyoming. Uh, the the one in Ontario was guided, and then the other two hunted on my own. For uh, the uh, the Alaskan moose is probably the was the Big of all of them was probably the biggest one I did. We rented rubber rafts and floated a river for ten days. And I had a buddy with me, and then two other buddies. Our rafts were twelve foot seven, and uh, it, it turned out it was kind of a full time job staying alive on that trip. Uh, the plane dropped us off on a gravel bar and said float when you see this great big gravel bar you'll know it's time to stop that's where i'll pick you up and wow. and he said you'll see a bluff and when you see that bluff that's where the gravel bar's at well we got going down there 
and we could see this bluff probably for five miles before we ever got to the gravel bar. <laughs> and we kept looking and looking for a sign, and we finally saw a stick about two feet tall with a about a one foot orange ribbon tied on it, stuck in some rocks up on the bank. And we figured, well, hopefully that's what he left at. And we got out of the river and hiked up and it, there was a giant, giant gravel bar there. So uh, we we sat there and waited for him to come pick us up. And back then you don't didn't have the com- communication devices like you do now from an in-reach to uh, we didn't have uh, satellite phones or anything like that. So you're just depending on uh, the guy's word <laughs> and that he'll come get you. Wow. So that, but that, that was that was up that was up out of Dead Horse, Alaska in Trudeau Bay. Wow. And uh, and that and the landscaping yeah, hadn't changed either. I'm sure it can change. I don't know how it depends how long that a guy's been out there. The last person he dropped's been out there, right? Yeah, and. I wish he would have flew us over the gravel bar when he dropped us off and then flew up the river and put us down. So we would have had some idea what we were looking for, but, uh, very green. That, that was back in 1991. And, uh, uh, that was probably the biggest, I, I, I guess I'd shot a moose and my moose in Ontario prior to that in the late eighties. And, uh, I shot that, yeah, and but that was a big hunt, and we planned it all out, and uh, my buddy found the pilot, and uh, I wouldn't go up there now and do that same hunt by myself on my own. I and I got the gear to do it, but but I probably just wouldn't do it. I don't know. Not the yeah, way we did it anyway back then. Yeah, I hear it's tough. I hear it's a tough hunt. Uh, when we were trying to plan our Canada trip, we were looking at float hunts in Alaska and just, uh, you know, what it takes and it's on your, you're on your own, you're navigating a river, uh, like in a raft. I've been on a yeah. raft in North Georgia and we didn't have a guide on a, a pretty tough river with my family and had a, a pretty, uh, crazy experience. We got dumped out of the raft. Uh, I was pretty young. Oh. And, and it, uh, yeah, it was it was nuts. And, and at the time, my grandmother, for whatever reason, we took her. She couldn't swim, and so I don't. It was a lot of bad decisions. I feel like looking back now, uh, as an adult, like why did we end up doing that? So I couldn't imagine being out in Alaska and something like that if you weren't, uh, you know, previous to that, have experience in a raft, and then you got a lot of other dynamics out there that can kill you. Yeah, it's dangerous. And you're right. Yeah, and you got to learn to read the river and know which fork to take. Um, if another thing that can happen, you can get a lot of rain to where that river comes up to where you start getting sweepers and stuff that can, uh, suck you under stuff like that. So Mm. I think I was just young enough then that I was a little bit, oh, I don't know, not really crazy, but you know, you feel more bulletproof when you're younger you know that's right that's right like nothing can happen what's gonna happen yeah 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 i got a gun i got a gun go wrong 
I got a gun. I'll be good. <laughs> I heard uh, there was a podcast that I listened to where this couple went out and grizzly bear hunted and ended up shooting this grizzly bear with a compound. And the story of that grizzly bear um, didn't actually end up shooting it. I'm sorry, with a rifle. They planned to shoot it with a compound, shot with a rifle, and that grizzly bear ran them down. And somehow they were able to get another shot off, uh, a couple shots off of the pistol at point blank range and almost got killed. I mean, it was. It, it it's it's a different world out there it really is and then after that there's a storm oh. that came in and like a horrible storm that they ended up almost getting hypothermia and almost didn't make it out it just i mean it was it was an amazing story of how they were able to make it but they're at that point that that couple actually guides out there and lives out there and that you know they're very well aware of uh what could happen and are prepared so i could imagine like you said, a couple of young guys going out there that are, you know, pretty naive and um, and bold and, and not really knowing what they what they might come across. Yeah, and, and we had grizzly bears there, and we I I shot a moose on about the I think the fourth day, and so we had to bone it out and pack it back to the river, not very far, but. Uh, my point was every night we had to unload all that moose meat out of those rubber rafts and take it up and put it put it away from the rafts so if the bears came in, they wouldn't tear the rafts up. Well, hopefully they'd just mm. go for the meat and leave the rafts alone. Mm. And um, you're stuck. That well, happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so because you just you just don't know. Uh but we luckily we never saw any bears. We saw we saw bear tracks, but it's it's one of those things where. And anytime I'm hunting anywhere, there's grizzly bears. If I'm not hunting grizzly bears, I just don't care if I see one or not. I'd rather not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's put I it understand. that way. I understand. If I'm not hunting them, I don't need to see them. Same with That's brown right. bears on Kodiak Island or whatever. I don't. I don't want to see one if I'm not hunting them. Well, we can understand that. Talk about some strategies that you've learned over the years uh, that you think's worth sharing uh, around moose hunting with a stick bow specifically. I yeah, the thing about moose, I I love calling them in. Moose calls are really easy to make uh, a cow call and a bull call, a bull call, and uh, I it's it's fun. It's uh, when you hear them coming in, the the bulls will get uh, can get really focused to where they just don't care. Uh, my moose in Alaska, my buddy called in, and I set up ahead of him, and the bull came in just tearing up uh, bushes. We were in a big river bottom, and. He got up to me and he got up to the bush. I was actually kind of hiding on and I was down on my knees and he got right up to it. And I thought, oh no, he's going to come right through that. And he walked around and when he stepped out, he was right off the end of my arrow. I had it knocked and pointing that way and I could have extended my arm and stuck it into him. It was that close. And, uh, when I, when I, as soon as his lungs got in front of my arrow, I drew my bow and he spooked and he jumped away. And the arrow actually, I didn't know what happened at the time. Uh, the arrow went up in him, but like between his hind legs, 
and it exited through his lungs. Wow. And he only went went about 125 yards and went down. I have a question. So, so I've never, I've never hunted an animal that big, and you know, obviously, you shoot them that close, you don't really have to worry about it. But with it being that size, does that does that make it easier to find a spot to shoot, or just the giant target? Does it make it more difficult? Well, you still got to pick a spot. You want to pick the littlest spot. I that moose, I was shooting in self defense, basically. It was so close. It was going to be a snapshot. But normally with animals that big, you, that's, and, you, and you're right to bring that up. You aim at the whole moose, you're probably just like a deer or anything. If you don't pick that spot and shoot at it, there's a good chance you're not going to hit a good. And uh, the only thing it does is having an animal that size gives you a lot more confidence if you're off of where you're aiming a little bit. Because, well, they're just huge. (laughs) So you can afford to be off a little bit. There's a lot of room in the lungs there. Yeah, I've seen, I've never seen one in person on the the hoof or anything like that. But I went to Maine and they had one in their airport. And I was just astonished. I mean, of course it was mm -hmm. stuffed. But I was just astonished at, you know, how big they really are. I mean, pictures and and videos. Yeah, normally those moose. Yeah, those moose like that are smaller. The Alaska Yukon moose are the biggest physically of of all the moose. And then the Canadians uh, are smaller, and then the Shiras can even be smaller yet. Um, Shiras moose probably run about 1,000 pounds to 1,200 pounds, somewhere in there. So it takes uh, it takes one guy to pack the head out then, yeah? Oh yeah, that's that's a load. A moose, like my moose in Alaska, you you always figure nine loads to pack a moose out, nine trips. So, Jeez. wow. Hopefully, you have a few people with you. Yeah, hopefully, you got nine guys that can. <laughs> yeah, come yeah it, it would be nice if it worked that way. So, what yeah, you normally no, try no. to do is not shoot it too far from camp. You know, you want to try and keep it as close as you can. My moose in Alaska, we only had to pack about 400 yards to the river. So that wasn't so bad. And uh, uh, while two of my buddies were cutting it up, me and the, my buddy I was with, hunting with in the raft and that, we just kept going back and forth with loads. And yeah, I imagine, that, to the raft. I imagine that adrenaline dump probably helps with uh, with packing it out a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about for them, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for me, yeah. yeah for you yeah. yeah but yeah for me it was i i was so excited yeah i i was that took a few days to wear off because it, it was just so neat and i i that's probably one of the reasons i like hunting moose too is because they're big targets uh same with elk they're just there's 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 a lot more room there for error right um, yeah and that's kind of what i was thinking when i asked that question what what broadhead uh-huh. do you uh, what broadhead do you use to go moose hunting? If you had to pick one, what would that be? I would I would choose a two blade head. I shot uh, my first moose. When did I kill it with? Uh, I think I shot my first moose in uh, Canada. The Canadian one I shot with a uh, silver flame, I believe, and then I shot my 
Alaskan moose with a hundred grain delta nubbin, it was called, and it was a stainless steel head made by uh, Delta. The, Laverne Wook owned Delta Targets. I don't know if you guys remember those Delta Quivers. They were really popular, and then Delta Delta Targets, uh, and uh, which he eventually bought Mackenzie Targets, and then Easton bought that from him. But uh, he had a hundred grain broadhead, and that that's an arrow I use a lot to tell people about when people start getting too hung up on penetration and arrow weight and front of center. That Alaskan moose that I shot pretty much lengthwise through. I had a t aluminum 2413, and back then the big thing was to swage the front end to where they some guys had machines and they could just taper that aluminum down so you didn't need an insert. And then I glued a hundred grain broadhead on there, and so <laughs> I was shoot I shot that moose with about a I think it was a 494 grain arrow, and it zipped right through it, wow. almost lengthwise. Yeah, I yeah. imagine that was a quick arrow. And that, and I shot seventy pounds too. So, okay. uh, yeah. So that arrow was probably shooting like two hundred ten feet per second, I guess, somewhere in there. Yeah. Do you still uh, shoot? Because uh, I consider seventy to be to be heavy. Do you do you still um, do you still shoot heavy bows? No, I I I just went. I've been shooting about 52, 53, and I did just go up to 58. And I, I kind of like that weight. And with the 500 grain arrow, uh, I'm getting in a, like 193 feet per second with it. So I like keeping my speed up uh, also because it, it keeps my gaps closer together for when you start backing up and, and getting out at longer range. Um, I, I, I like, I practice, I don't hunt this far, but I practice out to 70 yards and I have a point on for 70 yards. And so I do, I like practicing and getting all those different yardages because if I get an arrow in an animal and I get an opportunity to take another shot at a little farther out, I like having a plan. So that I got a good chance of putting another arrow in it. So that's that's why I I practice regularly out out to I practice regularly to sixty yards and then I throw in a little bit farther now and then. Gotcha, I understand. But uh yeah. I mean but and that's why I do it. But you practice enough. I, I've shot I've shot elk between 42, 47 yards. Um, you can practice enough at it, and then you get a little bigger animal too. Uh, just whatever. I don't. If I don't feel confident, I don't take it either. If it doesn't feel like it's going to work, I passed up in Eland in Africa. I think my guide thought I was nuts. He was at 25 yards, and I was sitting there, and it just didn't feel right the situation of that, and I never shot. And he says, what, what's going on here? You know, an eland, a 2,000-pound antelope, huge. And he says, why didn't you shoot them? And I said, it just didn't feel right. I just didn't feel like it was going to happen. And he goes, oh, okay, I don't want you taking a bad shot. 
And huh. that was the last that was said of it. But because uh, you always get more opportunities there. But uh, yeah, that's most important too. You know, yeah, it, it yeah. sometimes it just feels right, even the little longer ones. So, right. Yeah. And, and so sometimes you shoot and you don't realize how far it is. You know that it, and then after it's all over, you think, well, that was easy, and then you realize, oh, that's a little farther than uh, I normally shoot, or or that you get caught up in the moment. That's right. So if you had to pick a desired time of year for moose specifically to hunt or part of the season, what has been your experience as to that, that yeah, week or that time of year? Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, normally around, I'd say around the third week of September, uh, the bulls get rutting the most, the hardest, uh, uh, it's just, if if you hunt, you know, it depends on the areas you're hunting too, that I, I, I'm not sure exactly when they always have, when they start moose season. Cause I always pick that time. Like for my, for my, uh, for all the moose, we went hunting then, uh, the middle of September. Uh, there's, there's areas where it's more open than that. I believe like Wyoming has areas and where you can get crick bottoms and maybe get up higher in glass and, and find bulls and stuff. And, then go spot and then stalk in on them to get them. Um, but I, I love hunting moose. I love calling them in. I love hearing them just like I do elk. I think elk's one of my favorite things to hunt. And I've been doing it every year since 1981. And uh, if, if you couldn't call elk in and they didn't scream, I don't know if I'd be that into hunting them. Yeah, I have not been elk hunting, but I've heard that if you enjoy turkey hunting, which I do enjoy doing that, that it is uh, very similar, just a little bit more ramped up. Yeah, yeah, very ramped up. It's uh, can get very uh, uh, you can you can cover a lot of ground and get really worn out elk hunting. I'm sure. To find them. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah. I guess that's why. You very hear a lot. Of- very physical. Yeah, so I guess that's why you hear a lot of people prepping before, getting ready, getting into shape, eating healthy, working out, going backpacking with weight. I think that's uh, mm-hmm. it makes sense. And two, just the altitude. I've heard that you can't really prepare for that uh, just from the altitude difference, especially if you live somewhere like in the south where you're not dealing with that often. Yeah, and even here, I'm so low, it kicks my butt when I first get out there. Uh, I hunted about 11,000 feet right between 10 and 11 and a little more than 11 in certain areas there, but it, it kicks my butt, uh, when I first get out there and just gotta, I guess, go a little slower or catch your breath more <laughs> for a while. That's right. That's it, right. It, it, it actually got me, uh, about three years ago. I don't know if I was getting altitude sickness, but I was having a hard time at night breathing. And I lay down and before I go to going to sleep and I'd feel like I just couldn't even breathe and I couldn't catch my breath. And I ended up driving down, I think two or three nights in a row I hunted. And then I drove down uh, to about 7,000 feet and stayed. Mm. And I was fine when I got down there because we were camped at 10, two or something like that. And so uh, I did it three nights and then I, I got through it and I was okay. So, yeah, you hear about know. that. 
I've watched uh, yeah. multiple documentaries on like climbing. I know that's a different altitude, uh, but I th- I've heard of that happening, right? People have that same problem and just lack of oxygen and your body gets oh, sick. I, I guess like getting seasick almost. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine those guys that are going and hunting at 14,000 feet and stuff. That's a crazy, uh, isn't it? Some of, those, some of those sheep hunts over in Asia and stuff are up at those... 14, 15, I think even 16,000 feet, they hunt Marco wow. Polo sheep. And yeah, I can't even imagine doing that. Uh, that's got to be wide too. I've heard that the guides that go out there and stay, you know, a week prior, if it was a guided hunt, I guess that's why those hunts are just so costly because it takes a certain type of person, a younger person, I would assume, in, in pretty good shape to be able to handle mm-hmm. that, be out there prior to the guy coming that's going to hunt and then having to stay through that. Yeah, yeah. I, it seems like I've been, I've been on a few doll sheep hunts and mountain goat hunts, and I'd say ninety percent of the time, my guides are all my guides have been about six foot three and one hundred seventy pounds and twenty years old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I keeping up with them is a whole nother thing. And I always I always tell them I only got one speed guide, and that's just the way it's going to be. Did I? It, it, I never started sheep hunting until I was in my fifties, and and uh, it's it's goat hunting is even worse. Goat hunting is so grueling, uh, just the the steepness and stuff that you got to climb uh, for the goats. But uh, yeah, I always I, I, I tell them I say you're going to hear me cussing and whining and complaining, and but just ignore me. I'll be okay. Don't think nothing <laughs> of it. It ain't about you. So <laughs> it's like taking a, a young kid. It's like taking yeah, a young kid yeah, exactly. with you, right? Except for the cussing yeah, part. Um, yeah. I never say I want to go home, but <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking it though sometimes, but, right? Yeah, I'm probably thinking I can't wait till this is over. Let's just some goat hunts <laughs> I've been on. Those are just mm, treacherous. I but, can imagine. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's just just power through it. You know, when when you're done you wish you didn't you you were back there. Uh, you yeah, go go out and hunt for yeah two weeks and you get worn down and then I can't tell you all the times in Colorado we've left a day or two early that we're not really seeing much and 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 we think ah heck with this you know we're worn down so we go home you get home you sleep in your own bed one night and you're ready to go back out the next day you wish you never <laughs> would have left but you would have worked out you get mad at you get mad at yourself yeah for mm. going home early so. Anymore, I appreciate it a lot more, and I don't. Uh, I don't usually ever get to the point where I wish I could, wish I was home, or wish I could go home, or want to go home early because the hunting's bad. It's, you know, it, it only takes. And what I've always told and told guys when the hunting is bad too, I said it only takes five seconds to change this whole hunt around. That, that's it. You Every know. time. Yeah, yeah, and you. You're not seeing a bunch of animals. Well, I don't need to see a bunch. I just need to see one I can shoot. That's legal that's or not. So that's exactly right. Exactly but right. It's, it's 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 definitely more fun when you're seeing lots of game. Don't get me wrong. Even if you aren't <laughs> going to shoot, it's definitely more fun. But uh, it's a little bit a little bit more motivating in those tough hunts, isn't it? Yeah, it makes you feel like you got a better chance than when you aren't seeing anything. That's right. That's so. exactly right. 
Now, if you had to pick a, a moose recipe to, to cook for somebody or one that you've had cooked for yourself, do you, do you know of one of your favorite recipe dishes around moose meat? Well, the, the, my dad, the, the way I've liked game cooked for a long time, and my dad always did this, and he had an electric tenderizer, and we cut up steaks and run them through the electric tenderizer two ways and uh two directions and then roll them in flour and salt and pepper and fry them in oil and i grew up doing that with venison because we'd butcher all our own deer and, and stuff so uh or all my deer my dad didn't hunt but uh we'd butcher them ourselves and wrap them in that and what that was always a big thing while we were butchering the deer dad would get the skillet going and uh uh he had he had a garage that he'd build a kitchen in, and so we'd be out there butchering on the table and that, and he'd get the skillet going with oil and and uh, fry up venison for us that way. And I've always liked it that way. And uh, maybe it's a little more nostalgic for me now or that, but uh, uh, that's that's my favorite way to eat it. Mm, sounds good and it's probably too a part of that i'm sure that's sentimental for you i'm sure when that you you turn that skillet on and hear it popping and, and smell that it probably brings back a lot of fond memories with you and your dad right yeah yeah it does it absolutely does my dad never hunted but uh he he went on lots of hunting trips with me he went to africa with me twice and uh he'd go out elk hunting with all us we'd take a group of guys and he'd go out elk hunting and he'd stay in camp and he'd cook uh uh he'd cook and clean and we had fresh bread every day and donuts when we got back from hunting that he made and uh it was the only time we never lost weight elk hunting is when my dad was with us let's put it that way there was always plenty of food there to eat wow so yeah, yes. they were they were good, and he he just liked to sit out there in the mountains and uh, uh, sit in the valley, and he'd sit out there. It didn't matter how cold it was or that, he just put on a coat. He just loved being there and being around. And same in Africa, he was actually the reason I went to Africa the first time. Is uh, he always wanted to see it? So uh, I thought, well, gee, this is a good opportunity for me to go hunting. So uh, I think in '97 I went for the first time, and. Uh, took paw and uh we had a great time and he 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 had a he had a way of knowing everybody and i'd take him to archery banquets with me and i swear when we got done he knew more people than i did there huh, I'm sorry. Uh, he's just that kind of guy yeah he's almost hey, so it sounds like good times sounds like a good man i'm sure a lot of that drive was he just yeah. wanted to spend time with you and that says a lot about a father mm-hmm. just wanting to invest time and that's uh if anything more important in life than anything else is, is somebody willing to put their time into somebody so that says a yeah. lot absolutely inside 20 is brought to you by traditional bow hunters of georgia head on over to tradbowga.com for more information and by big jim bow company the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at BigJimBowCompany.com. Gunshy Archery, the perfect custom-made quiver for both two- and three-blade broadheads. Check them out at GunshyArchery.com. VPA Broadheads, 
precision machined one-piece broadheads, two and three blade mode is available. Check them out at vparchery.com. Custom King Archery, the best price on the best traditional archery products since 1972. Check them out at customkingarchery.com. Triple T Strings, created champion level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook. You, you got a month, right, until your next big hunt. So say that's the case. How often is Randy Cooling practicing and prepping for that big hunt coming up in, say, a month? Yeah, every single day. Um, the, the big thing I try to do is I try to practice on a target that is going to be close to the size of the animal I'm going to be hunting. So I do, I did, I was fortunate. I was able to buy a McKenzie elk target from a club for $200. So I have an elk tar, uh, 3D elk. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good deal. And it was in really good shape. Uh, but, uh, other than that, I don't know when I, before I went polar bear hunting, Denny Sturgis, my buddy, he, he made me a, he got measurements off the internet and he made me a life-size polar bear target, uh, out of cardboard. Oh, that's and, a good friend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and uh, so I use that to practice uh, shooting it. I do it to shoot so your mind adjusts the size. And same with we made a Cape Buffalo one before we were going Cape Buffalo hunting. We made one out of cardboard, a life-size Cape Buffalo. Uh, I do it with anything. Uh, like that and it's just and practice on it practice on it and put it through your mind that you know play it in your mind like that's real and it's coming up and and put your put yourself through these different scenarios uh in your head of what happened or or what's going on at the moment when you do that to try and uh so when it does happen uh the theory behind with me is it's it's like you've done it before and played it out and and uh, to try to keep the anxiety down when it is time yeah. to make the shot. Yeah, being being prepared as much as you can is um, is definitely an advantage. So yeah, and so and, I, and granted, there, there's no way to prepare for shooting a live animal. No, you know you're guys always wonder right. about getting buck buck fever and stuff like that. The only way to do it is to hunt a lot and, and yep. get as much in as you can. Yep, that's right. That's why that target panic you gotta work through, buck fever you gotta work through. I mean, it's just it's constantly growing and evolving. Um and I imagine that that can be difficult when when you hunt so many different animals like you do. I mean, me and Matt, you know, we hunt pigs and deer and you know, anything else if we're lucky. Um so um, I can imagine it's a lot different with the different game you hunt. So, yeah, and I, I, I'm six, going to be 64 in October, and I've done it enough. I think now that I can stay really calm and keep myself calm through situations and think things out, and then after it's all over, my left knee starts shaking pretty hard. But uh, well, that's you get good. Typewriter happens afterwards. Or whatever they call it. Yeah. Well, it's my legs better. start it's shaking. Now, but, <laughs> yeah, my legs yeah. start shaking when I get into the woods. So. Exactly. Oh yeah. My 
my brother was with me. I, I, he was with me a uh, long, long time ago, but elk hunting, I told him if he graduated from college, I'd take him on an elk hunt to Colorado, pay for it, and take him elk hunt, and I did it. And he got to watch me shoot at an elk, and uh, I think I shot under it or something like that. <laughs> After it was over with, he goes, what was wrong with you? I said, why? He goes, your legs were shaking so bad. I said, you just wait, <laughs> bud. You'll see what was wrong with me. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he ended up finding out too. <laughs> yeah. When you can feel out. your, you can feel your heartbeat in your, in your ears. It's, um, man, that's, yeah. that's what makes it fun. Like we were talking about getting out in the yard and it being fun that, and you should, you should find some excitement and some fun in, in all of it. So, um, yeah. so yeah. this kind of leads me into, into my next question. Um, some of the mistakes or almost mistakes you've made during big expedition hunts, like, you know, what's something that you would change looking back if you could? Um, one thing that, <laughs> you know, you try to be prepared as much as you can. Um, you try to call people that have, especially going on hunts that, that I've never been on. I, I always try to call people that have done it, that have even been to exact place I'm going um, to, to prepare and gear wise and what to expect and, and all that, which helps a lot. Uh, but one thing I didn't do that we came out okay on that moose hunt, when we rented those rubber rafts, they give you a, a glue kit in case you puncture your raft or a patch kit. And they give it to you in a little bag. And so we just got it. We throw it in the, throw it in the raft and whatever. And we're going down there. And after about six or seven days, we have one cell of our raft that's starting to lose air a little bit. But we just pump it back up and it stay for quite a while again, maybe a day or so. We'd pump it up because it, it was slow enough that we, we weren't really sure we weren't was leaking. It was that slow that you could hard to find. And so one day we thought, you know, we should, maybe we should try and try and find where this is leaking and do something with it. And we get out the patch kit and there's patches in there and there's a bottle of glue that is rock hard. It's so hard. It's from so old that it was just rock hard. It wasn't going to do us any good. And that's something we didn't check before we, before we went out there. So things could have got really, really bad if, if we'd have hit, ran into some sweepers or, or, uh, you know, tree roots sticking out from the side of the banks or that, or sharp rocks. Cause there's times it got real, uh, shallow enough that we had to get out and drag the raft through the river, down the river. So, uh, that was, that was something. And it's still stuck in my head now, uh, today when, because I, I, I was thinking about just thinking about being up there hunting and how that was stupid not to check everything. Yeah, just like anything so else that, in life, the devil's in the details, you know. That one yeah, little and, and, loose that could have could have put y'all down for um, for a while could have ended badly. Yeah, and that. I don't know. I don't know what we would have done if uh, if we would have punctured the raft. I'm. I'm really not sure because we had to go miles and miles and miles to get to get to our pickup point. I'm 
I'm sure we would have came out okay. The guy would have flew up the river looking for us. Uh, luckily, we had another two guys in a raft that they probably would have kept going. And and uh, but but you just it's not a matter of just picking you up anywhere. You got to find a place to land a plane out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, in those yeah, river no. bottoms. So yeah. uh, I'm I'm sure it would have worked out and came out okay in the end. It just would have been very very annoying um, to get through. Right. Yeah, even you know, I don't think a stick of bubble gum is gonna patch a hole on a raft, so it's it's important to be prepared. Have my have my buddy keep his thumb on it the whole time on board or something. Yeah, whoever paid the least for the trip needs to uh, keep their thumb on this hole. (laughs) Yeah. So, so do you have any any moose hunts or any hunts in general that that kind of still keep you up at night? Yeah, I was I was so fortunate that I went on I did go on my first moose hunt I ever went on in Ontario, I never got shot. Uh the second moose hunt uh same I went the same guy and I went back the next year and I was able to he called in a bull and I was able to shoot it at fifteen yards, uh which is like right in my wheelhouse. And uh so uh yeah i mean i and then the 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 alaska moose i felt very fortunate i was the only one out of the four of us that got one and the shiris moose i went on my own uh up in uh, northern wyoming and i was fortunate there i called a bull in the second night there and that that turned out i had that bull at 10 yards and he was coming and grunting and turning stuff up. And I had him at 10 yards. And I didn't have anything there to rake the brush with because I figured that's what it was going to take to just get him to show himself. And I used my black widow and I was beating the willows with it and stuff. And he's going nuts. And excuse me, he finally turned him. I think he couldn't see another moose uh, right there. Or I was, you know, because I wasn't going to walk out. So. Anyway, he turned and walked away, and it was getting just getting to the point shooting hours are going to be over, and he was standing out there. And I thought, what do I do now? And I put my bow on top of my head. I bent over at the waist, and I put my bow kind of on top of my head, and I just walked straight out in the open. And I walked out and kept walking, and he's standing there staring my direction, trying to think of what an idiot, but... He was. He stood there, and as soon as I got out and got around where I could shoot, I just stood up and shot him at about 35 yards. Wow, that's and, that's uh, amazing, wow. man. What? And wiped him out. Yeah, like I say, I don't. I don't think he thought I was a moose for a second, but he's probably wondering what the hell, you know. <laughs> you confuse you so, confuse the heck out of him. He's like this this scrawny yeah. little moose is is making some racket. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. and so uh, he went out. He 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 only went about a hundred yards or so, but I waited till the next morning uh, to go look for him, and it snowed that night about six inches, and all I could think is, oh no, no blood to follow, and so I went out and I kind of headed the direction he did, and I walked up on him, and the coyotes were already on him that night, tearing mm-hmm. at his tearing at his uh, hind end and. Uh, 
a little hair off the belly and that, but they didn't they didn't get to him that bad. Right. Uh, I started I started uh, a buddy of mine who lived down in Casper. He said that he he's an he guides for antelope hunters, and he said if you get one, you're not going to have a phone signal up there. Just just call me, and if you hear me scream, get your butt up here. And so I did that, and he brought a, a guy to his, and the guy's dad was there and came up. And at first, I was just going to pack that moose out myself, and I had the legs tied up in the air and and everything braced, and I had it tarred down, and I started boning that thing out. I gutted it first because it laid all night. I did gut it because I, I didn't I wanted it to cool out. I was worried about that laying on the ground, and then I. Uh, started working on a hind quarter and had a leg tied up with the rope. And, and I realized I was losing interest really, really fast. And so I uh, went and called him and he came up with two more guys. And that, that one we got out, I don't remember how many loads. It wasn't as many as like a big Alaska Yukon. I think we just, I think maybe it was uh, seven trips or six or seven trips or something. Loads, mm. I should say, to get him out. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that was, but that was, that, it was neat being there by myself and getting it done. And I thought it was going to be neat to butcher him and pack him out and show up down there with him by myself. And, uh, nah, heck with this. <laughs> I'll get some help. <laughs> it was offered. So I'm not going to turn it down. Yeah. You can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong. So you've talked a little bit about where you practice at and kind of where your sweet spot's at, what is, where do you want to shoot, you know, if you had to just pick a yardage for the rest of your life, all game, where do you want to shoot from? 10 yards, 15? Oh, I'd love to have everything at 15, between 15 and 20 yards. That's, that's your sweet spot? If it was possible, yeah, if it was possible. I don't like being too close. 15's even getting a little close. I always, when you're shooting animals close, and I could tell you a couple that I've uh, – I get – I start getting a little more anxiety of wanting to rush the shot if they're close because you feel like there's a good chance they're going to see you. Yeah. So being – being, yeah, being a little farther away, I don't have – I don't get that urge that to rush the shot. Um. But I, I've shot, I shot a whitetail, good, good buck, 100, I think he's a 137-inch eight-pointer. I shot him at 50, at him at 15 yards, and I took hair off his belly. And he ran out, and he, he didn't know what happened. He ran out, and he stopped at 40 yards, looked back, and I laced him. And uh, he only went another 50 yards, and he was down then. But I have so much less anxiety shooting out there in that 30 when they get usually past 30. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like they're, they're going to see you move as easily or that as they would at 15. And, and it depends if you're hid good in a tree or good on the ground and had some cover in front of you a little bit, every situation's different, but, uh, uh, yeah, if you're in the open more and that, if you're in the open, it's so, it's so easy to rush the shot and uh, and miss. Uh, normally, shoot over them or that. Did you hurry up and miss because of that? That uh, 
uh, I, I sat in a, I sat in a blind in Wyoming antelope hunting for six days in 113 degree heat every day. I mean, I baked. It was awful, and I never saw never saw an antelope. And the last night, I think it was the sixth day or seven. The last night, right before dark, I'm sitting in there thinking, and and they had a bunch of hunters there that week in that same camp, and everybody's shooting antelope, and I'm not even seeing one. And then that last night, I thought, well, this isn't going to happen. And I look up, and there's a buck walking into the water. And he was right there. He kind of snuck up on me. And I picked up the bow in the blind, and I, he was at, he was between 20 and 25. And I started to draw up, and I think he heard something, and he looked my way, and I hurried up and shot right over his back. So, mm. I, and I always try to tell myself to to take your time. If you don't get the shot, at least you're giving yourself a chance to, as opposed to hurry up and miss. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, if, that all any, if that makes sense. Yeah, if that yeah, makes it, any sense. To, you it know. sure does, man. It sure does. Because, I mean, we've all been in the, like you said, the hurry up and miss. We've all done that. That is a, that is a big part of it. Um, yeah. And, you know, that takes time to realize when your shot comes, you know. You can force it all day long, but uh, trust me, that does not that does not always work out the way you want it to. So no, when that happens, yeah, yeah. So when that happens, I mean, what do you do to what do you do to um, create that resolve and that mental toughness um, to get back out there when let's just say you you hurry uh, up and miss? Yeah, well, for one thing, I don't let things bother me, especially anymore. Um, it's just hunting, and there's as you get older, especially, there's just things in you know things in your life and stuff that mean so much more. Uh, not getting an animal is far, far, far from the end of the world. Uh, you know your 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 wife's health, your own health, your kids' health, family health. That's that means so much more. And. Uh, you should be out there having fun hunting. And if things go bad, I usually, I, I have a rule and I always tell it to anybody, especially if they're in camp, if they miss an animal, uh, maybe if they, they make a hit that's not so good and we don't find it or that, I always tell them they get 24 hours to mourn. That's it. When it's over, it's over. You're done. You don't get to whine. You don't get to pout. It's all over. Um, so that's just a rule that you only get 24 hours. 24 hours. Because you're, 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 yeah, 24 hours to mourn. That's all you get. <laughs> that's a and good rule. You get back in the chat. And you get back yeah. in the saddle and you keep going. Yeah, Denny, Denny Sturgis, he, he uh, always accuses me of having a convenient memory because we could be on a hunt and I may miss something, miss a shot. And we'll be talking later, and and he'll have to, he'll we'll we'll be saying something or whatever, and he'll go, you know, I'll say, yeah, God, I wish I get a shot. And he'll say, well, you just missed the other day. And I'll go, oh yeah, that's right, <laughs> I did. I guess I had a shot. Right. Yeah, thanks for bringing you know, that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good friend. And he it? accuses me. Of, yeah, or. or 
something going bad with an animal or something. He just, yeah, he says, I have a very convenient memory when it comes to <laughs> missing something. Like that. Yeah. And I do. I, I know I do. But dwelling on it doesn't help either. Or going to the, you know, trying trying to make a shot next time going, oh, I hope I don't miss. Or uh, you don't want to be thinking that when an animal's coming in. Or I can't miss. Or uh, it's getting... A lot of guys, a lot of times I hear from guys too. They they bring the money part of it in too much. To I spending fifteen hundred dollars to go on this elk hunt. I got to get something, and it doesn't work like that. It's hunting, not shooting. Right. right. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And thinking about the money, I've been on I've been on five doll sheep hunts now and haven't drawn my bow yet. And if I was thinking about the money, I would never go on another hunt <laughs> because right. of that. You know, right. uh, some animals are just hard to get, uh, like brown bears, grizzly bears. I, I was fortunate. I, I, my second brown bear hunt, I killed a brown bear, and then I, I went grizzly bear hunting. And I told my wife I left. I said, if I get a grizzly bear this first hunt. I'm going to book a polar bear hunt when I get home. And I was lucky and got a grizzly bear. So that's how I ended up going polar bear hunting. I, I want to know what she uh, said to that. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. We need, this just, is what we need to be talking about. <laughs> what you told me. <laughs> I, have, I have a fantastic wife. She's never, she's, she's never, ever that I can think of ever said, anything about where I was going and the money I was spending on a hunt. I did. I, one time I, in my life, I asked her if I could go on a hunt and it was, it was back in the late eighties and I'd been out elk hunting for two and a half weeks and I came home and a buddy of mine called me that booked uh, groups of caribou hunters. And he said, Randy, a guy just backed out. This is like on a Monday or Tuesday. And he says, well, you got to leave Friday and go caribou hunting. And I was going to get it like ridiculous. Like a, a, back then it was like a $1,500 caribou hunt. I could, I could get it for four or $500. And I go, oh no. And my wife is at work and, and, and uh, I thought, oh, I don't think I can just say yes to this, Raj. I know I normally can, but I don't think I can. I just, I just got back from elk hunting for two and a half weeks. And, uh, and so I went and saw my wife at work and we went to, a, went to a break room and sat down and she's at the university of Iowa. They went to a break room and sat down and talked a little bit. And I said, I got to ask you something. I have an opportunity to go on a caribou hunt. So cheap. It's ridiculous. <laughs> she just, She's just sitting there looking at me and goes, goes, well, if you think you can afford it, go ahead. I said, oh, we can afford it. <laughs> so, That's a good wife right so there. I, I, I went, right. She is. Yeah. She works hard though. And I don't, I don't have any kids. So I've been, that's one of the reasons too. I've been able to do all this traveling and stuff because of that, that not having that responsibility. Right. Um, so that that makes can make all the difference in the world. 
Yeah, before I had my son, it was certainly a lot easier to pick up and and go hunting or fishing or whatever whatever I wanted to do. My yeah, my, my yeah. wife didn't say anything, so I get it for sure. <laughs> yeah, and well, <laughs> she still doesn't. Yeah, I won't say that she does, but she still doesn't. She's very supportive, and I think that's really important. She's she's wonderful. So um, yeah, well, I could I couldn't imagine. If I had if I had to go somewhere for a couple of weeks and I was worried about her being mad the whole time, I I wouldn't go. I just it, it would bug me too much if I was worrying about her being upset about me going and especially because it I'd probably already been somewhere for two and a half months hunting before right. she would have. But but I I was gone. I I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why she puts up with it. Don't ask me. And I, I don't want to ask her either. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that is a good question. I don't want to bring it up. <laughs> that's a, that's a good no, question. No, no. Not, not to ask at this point in the game, Randy, I can agree with that. Yeah. 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 Hey, I but- was talking to somebody one time, talking to a buddy about going somewhere and he brought up how much it costs in front of my wife. And uh, oh, I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with you? You know, I'm, I'm thinking this in my head and, and I get him alone then. And I, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? And he's looking at me. What? I said, you don't ever discuss money and hunting in front of somebody's wife. Are you nuts? And, and he goes, well, 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 I didn't know. I said, well, you do now and don't let it happen again. <laughs> that no more has ever said. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, we joke, we joke about it, but it, it that is really an important part having a having a supportive um, wife um, oh, to to help too. you along. You know, that is a big part oh, of it. Even I, even in the tough times of hunting, you know, you you don't want to call your buddies. You go home and you're just like, man, today was terrible. <laughs> you know, just that that part yeah. of it too. It's it's good to have a supportive wife. Yeah. No, I, I, there's no way I would have been doing all this stuff without my wife. I, I just, there's just, there's just no way it, uh, I, I've been so fortunate and, uh, she's still that way about everything. It's, uh, she's never, she's never changed from, we, we got, we got married, uh, how long have I been married? 42 years. And we've, we've been together since high school. So. And she's wow. never, yeah, she's never changed regarding, uh, she always said she thought it was, uh, me being gone hunting and that was actually pretty good, clean fun to be having. <laughs> There's That's a lot good. worse things I could be doing, I guess. I don't oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There is. Yes, there is. You know. But, so, uh, well, I could talk. Anyway. I could talk about wives all night long, but <laughs> um, yeah. I want to ask you. We got the TVG shoot coming up. Um, you talk about your experience uh, in the past with traditional bow hunters of Georgia. Oh my lord! I, I started. A friend of mine, Ted Poistra, moved down there uh, years, a few years ago, and we always shot together here. And he moved down there, and he got involved, and he lives up north of Atlanta, and. Uh, invited me down for a uh, one of the hog hunts they have in the spring that uh, uh, Buck was putting together and uh, Buck Ernest. And, and so 
I went down there, good time of year, nothing really much going on, and and uh, hung out with them guys. And I tell you, I just had a fantastic time. And I, now I wish I lived closer so I could go do more of that stuff. That that group is really active, and uh, they put on a few hunts a year and stuff. That just it's it's just so much fun. And I drove down there this year uh, and went hunting with them and. I know it's Buck's last year for this hunt, this particular hunt that we went on. But uh, he he smoked up some pork, and uh, we all camped in a campground that had good facilities for showering and and bathrooms. And uh, I, it's just so much fun. I, I can't even uh, can't even describe it. You just you're laughing. You go down there for a weekend, you're just laughing. Always laughing. Because somebody's making fun of somebody about something normally is what it is. Yeah. Yep. We have a good time at all of our shoots and yeah. and stuff. I know I said yeah. shoot earlier. It's the banquet coming up. So um yeah, but it is. It's always a it's always a real good time. And you man, you can always learn a lot of stuff. And you know, that's a, a great oh, place to to have to create absolutely. your kind of network of folks to, you know, help you along. Yeah, and them guys love to hunt. I mean, love it. They love talking about it. And it's it's just such a great group. I'm excited. I haven't been to a banquet, um, mainly because I'm just so far away, <laughs> you know, to run down there. So uh, I haven't been to a banquet, and I'm excited to go down there and uh, uh, share my experiences. I'm going to be uh, – uh, that night of the banquet, I got a slide program. I'm going to start out with uh, uh, my mountain goat hunt, on backpack hunt on Kodiak Island. And uh, it's just so beautiful there. And that's kind of the main reason I added, put that in ahead of uh, and of my polar bear hunt. And then I'm going to go through my polar bear hunt and uh, everything that happened there. And uh, I have some awesome pictures and from that also. So. Uh, oh, I'm excited to hear all about that, that. That 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 gets yeah that gets requested from people quite a bit. Is is my polar bear hunt because it's so different. But yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I don't know anyone that's um, I, been polar bear hunting, so you'll be the first. Yeah, I'm the only guy on my street that's polar bear hunted. I'll tell you that. But I, yeah, <laughs> me and Matt haven't been yet. We don't have those around right. here. So, <laughs> yeah. so no, it, talk- it was exciting and different and it was challenging and you guys really would have hated it it was really cold so. yeah matt matt gets cold easy if he doesn't have his mittens he's just in a terrible mood so he probably <laughs> wouldn't have liked it too much yeah you guys <laughs> probably wear coats down there when it's in the 40s don't you yeah, well, Tim's well, got a coat on. Yeah, he's got his bedroom slippers on and his coat in his basement right now. Yeah, I'll do his that. house, right? Yeah, that's yeah, exactly right. Well, like I was telling, um, like I was telling uh, Marie Sturges when we talked last time, this cold—it's just we have like a wet cold down here, and it it just gets up under your clothes and and it just chill you to the bone. So I know I'm sure you've experienced all that, but yeah, it's just terrible. The wind will start howling just stick yeah. to you so talk about safari tufts contribution to the tbg annual banquet and any personal experiences you had in the previous years 
Yeah, um, this is really the first bank that I've gone to. I've just made some donations uh, for them to give away to hopefully uh, help them, because uh, usually banquets and that are, can normally be the biggest fundraiser a club will have for the year. Right. So yeah. I usually make make donations to them for that, so they can can keep going and uh, uh, with with all the programs and all the all the things they do. Uh, I just think it's a it's a great club and it's it's a great bunch of guys. I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to be affiliated with them. Yeah, I'll, and we I'll love bring we love some stuff down with me too. Awesome, man! That sounds great. Sounds great. So, so, what are your thoughts on groups like Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia? Um, individuals can be a part, might not have a network. I, th- I, I personally think that's the best way to find like-minded people and 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 create that network. Even like you know, tr- Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia led me and Matt to do this podcast, and it's if we when we decide to go and do some of these hunts, I know it has. Um, created a network that will be very useful in the future and Mm -hmm. some great friends, you know, most importantly. Yeah. And the, the, the great thing and about usually about any of the clubs, 99% of the guys are always willing to help in any way they can. And, and even going down there and showing up cold guys are giving me ideas of where to go hunt and explaining places to go. And, and, uh, it, it, being being a part of any of the traditional clubs is is a great thing, and I wish more people would do it and and give their support too, um, because it it is a great network to uh, get help. Uh, there, you can always find somebody that's been usually somewhere hunting or 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 knows about bear hunting or or antelope hunting or or elk hunting or that that can help you out and kind of point you in the right direction. Uh, a little on helping you with your shooting and your equipment. And, and granted, there's lots of different ideas, but of when it comes to that, but, but can help you and point you in a direction to, uh, to uh, move you along and uh, maybe find out something, something you hadn't thought about that might work better for you. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much knowledge out there. Um, to be learned um a lot of these guys yeah. have it so and and there's and there's the access to it now is when i when i was starting out and that's there was nothing um i did did belong to a club but you know there was no internet or any of that kind of stuff that you could get on and find things and the only the only thing about the internet and you get on certain places is uh you got to really sort out you got to be careful and sort out what people are saying because sometimes people get an agenda with what they're doing too and and they aren't very very aren't very open-minded when it comes to uh certain equipment or shooting styles or or that either so uh uh but uh it's 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 you just yeah you just got to be careful and where you're the best thing to do is is like this where you can get with club members face to face and uh and talk to them and get help like that right absolutely you know us traditional archers we're a 
an opinionated group for sure, which is not a bad thing. Uh, but it it does open the door to get a lot of different feedback, and you know. Um, yeah, I I love opinionated people. Oh I yeah, do. absolutely. I, I I truly love them. I don't. Yeah, I don't mind arguing with people about what I do in that if they don't like what I do. And some of the biggest criticism I get is over the arrow weights I shoot because I always shoot around a 500 grain arrow. And, uh, but when it, when it comes down to it, there's no sense arguing with me because I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. That's a great way to be. I, I just don't. Yeah. I just don't care. <laughs> I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So that's right. So, you, you know, convincing somebody of changing or that is, there's no sense. It, it's good to talk it over because you still learn. And, and I, I love, and I, I get to be the riddler to sometimes. I have people call me almost daily asking me questions about stuff. And, and the, you can't, you can't call a bow hunter and just talk for a couple minutes. It always runs into about 30 minutes to an hour. So I, I always, tell them i said i hate to be the riddler but i question them on what gear they're using what arrow they're using what broadheads are using um uh, how 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 it's working or or if they're doing something really odd to the team's odd to me i'll really question them on it because i'm looking to learn and you never know what might pop up out of it or you might catch on and something else worked for you that you hadn't thought of yeah and absolutely. uh so yeah i'm i'm I, I always, I always say something because I always feel bad about questioning somebody. Like I, I don't want to want them to think I'm questioning them because I think I'm they're an idiot and I'm trying to get them somewhere. It's because uh, I just like to know and and just like spines people shoot. I'm always asking people what spine they shoot for what weight bow and how long the arrow is because people call me and ask me. And if I'm not shooting forty pounds, I don't know what the majority of the people are finding that work at that weight and draw length and, and stuff like that. So I'm just always looking to take in as much knowledge as I can from people that do call me. Yep. Well, that's a, that's a great thing. Continue to evolve and learn. Um, it's not a yeah. bad thing at all. Yeah. Yeah. You never know what's going to pop up. That's right. Well, we're really excited to, uh, to have you down here in Georgia here in a, about a month for the banquet. I think it's going to be a really good time. Um, oh yeah. I'm excited too. It, it is going to, it's going to be a great time. It is. And every, anybody that's planning to go, if you're not inviting multiple people, I know we said this about the state shoot, but there should be multiple people on your list that you're bringing, inviting friends, the opportunity to win prizes. You get to listen to somebody like Randy Cooling has been all around the world to talk about hunting and just give his insight further. If you want to listen to him more outside of like all the podcasts he's done and just understanding what he's uh, he's all about and his knowledge is is going to be priceless. And then, like we've talked about, it's just a great opportunity to be able to build uh, relationships with new people, and uh, you never know what that what there there where that will go, and that's what all this is about at the end of the day, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just, I want everybody to know too, um, if you go to safaritough.com, my email and my phone number are on there, my personal phone number, 
you can call me if you're wanting to do anything or if there's something you think I might know or I have experience with. You don't have to call me to talk about any of the product I sell in that. I just, I love to talk bow hunting with people. So I'm, I'm, usually that's what I do part of my day every day is people, people give me a call. Well, and I love it. I love meeting new people. And uh, so don't anybody be afraid. Well, that says a lot about the guy yeah. that you are and just the willingness to open up and, and spend your time, which I said earlier, and I, I'm a true believer that if you're willing to dedicate your time to somebody else especially somebody you don't even know uh that's uh that's that's at the end of the day that really is the most important thing in life is is your time outside anything else and brandy he has a lot of awesome products quivers all kind of different things that vino harnesses that you need to look at uh, i'm telling you what like the the the, the emphasis around the product that's being built has been built by somebody that has been hunting with a traditional bow for his entire life that has been all over the world testing this, these products and hunting with them and has been successful using them. So I don't know what else you need other than that. I think that that's a, a perfect, perfectly good uh, a list of reasons to go and uh, check out some of the stuff that he's selling on his website. And we'll link that as well in the description so that people will be able to do that. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, Randy, we could sit here and talk all night, man, but I think I'm going to go ahead and close us out in a word of prayer. Mm -hmm. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we could come together and talk about a passion that we love, a fire that burns in us, Lord. And we, we thank you for creating creating this inside of us, Lord. And, um Lord, you you never you never let us down, and you're always there, and 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 we love you, dear Heavenly Father. I want to pray for two people tonight, Lord, um, Todd Cook, and uh, I want to pray for Marie Sturgis. Uh, just everything, anything that they're going through, Lord, I want you to have your hand on them and and guide them through this, Lord. And Lord, I would like to pray for Stacy as she prepares for her physical therapy board exam in July. Um, Please give her the knowledge and just the the will to um, get through that and and uh, do a good job, Lord. Keep her in our thoughts and prayers as she goes through that. We know that you are the creator of all, and and we love you. And Lord, please protect Randy as he travels down uh, to come visit with us in a month, and and keep him safe during his travels, Lord. Um, again, we love you. Amen. 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 Thanks, Randy. Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed it. The traditional bow hunters of Georgia annual banquet is almost here. This year's event will be held at the same place as last year, 135 Crowell Road North, Covington, Georgia, 30014 on July 22nd. There'll be an auction, card raffle, general raffle, premium raffle, and lots of great bow hunting gears. This year's sponsors are Drop Time Custom Bows, Brad Jenkins Custom Knives, Mystery Ranch, Creek Walker Trading. Doors open at 4 o'clock. Y'all come see us. <laughs>